All right, good morning, church family. Jeremy, I'll probably have to turn that down because I'll... <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows that I, I don't have soft voice in me at all, so... Uh, well, let me begin by saying that uh, I'm just super excited to come down and meet new brothers and sisters, and uh, actually just makes my heaven family bigger. So uh, just kind of looking forward to... Uh, spend an eternity with more more people than me. And so uh, when uh, I was first asked to come down and teach, uh, actually I went to your website just to find out a little bit about your church, and I found out that you guys were a church plant from up north Vallejo, and uh, kind of tied some some knots together, or tied some points together, if you have to make my point or not. Uh, as far as uh, Chris Mueller, our pastor, has talked about uh, Phil Foley, uh, and visiting the church up there, but anyhow, I, I went to the church and just found out, I was amazed at how many churches Vallejo has planted, including yours down here. And um, I just thought I love church plants. Uh, just have a heart for plants. Uh, have a heart just to see the Church of Christ to expand out uh, across all of the world. And so uh, whenever we come across church plants, I just uh, my heart just jumps. And just to know that we are not just taking the word keeping it within our own body, but we would train up people and send them out so that the word of Christ would be known. So uh, it's uh, just a pleasure to be here with you guys, and uh, I just pray that you guys will continue to grow and uh, get into the community here in Oceanside. It's a great community and a serious, serious need of a gospel church down here. So you guys, we've always said, where would be a place where we want to plant a church? Well, Oceanside, Carlsbad, uh, because uh, there's a need out here for the gospel Christ-centered church. So let's pray, and uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, are just so thankful, God, just for who you are, Lord. And God, as we read out of Psalm 95, Lord, just the exaltation, Lord, as the psalmist would look to you, and what a mighty God you are. And uh, Lord, we're so distracted from you every day. And even in our hearts, Lord, that uh, we do not want to be distracted, but we are. We're distracted uh, by the glimmer of the world. Uh, we're distracted by the um, even good things like family and friends. And uh, But, Lord, we, we know that you're such a great God. And just so thankful that you do call us uh, every day, Lord, to come to you in your word. And uh, once a week uh, on Sunday, Lord, that we would gather in the church. Uh, to lift up our arms, our hearts, and our voices to you. And uh, so, God, we just pray that you would be honored and glorified, Lord, as we open up the word this morning. God, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, prepare our hearts for the word, and, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just do a mighty work in us. And we ask this name in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. And um, title of the passage today, the message is "Holding Our Confidence Firm Until the End." And just want to tell you, when I was a kid, I had one of the strangest fetishes. Probably, I don't even know if you call it a fetish, but I, I don't have a word for it. But I used to love to eat dog food, and uh, not wet food, but dry food. And I would pile dog food up in my pockets, and. Uh, it was just a way that I could constantly feed my belly because I just ate nonstop. And pretty soon my mom caught on and she told me to stay out of the dog food and she uh, moved it so I could no longer get to it. Well, my brother and I, we were in the garage and I was looking for dog food and I came across a bag of something that kind of looked like dog food. And so I ate it and I started not feeling well. My brother went and told my mom and she came out and she found out that I ate snail, snail pellets. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she turned the bag over, she's reading the bag, and she says, get in the car. So we went to the car, or went to the hospital. I had my stomach pumped that day, uh, which I was young enough, I can't remember about it, but I'm, my mom does remember that day. But anyhow, it was, uh, and looking back on that, it was, I was so thankful my mom took that bag of pellets and turned it over the back and read before she, uh, had any action there because there was a warning label on the back that said do not induce vomiting uh, because it's, uh, the poison would have came back up and what, whatever would have happened but 
I, just thinking about that, that there's warning labels on just about anything that is dangerous to us. And it tells about the danger of what it is, and then it tells you about if consumed or eaten or touched on your skin, there's specific things that uh, the maker of that product would tell us to do in order so that we could find a cure in a sense, and to, to come across a way that we can avoid that danger. Well, this morning in Hebrews 3, we come across a warning here. And, uh, but the damage of what the author is talking about here in Hebrews 3 is so much greater than having damaged skin, uh, becoming sick, or anything like that. The, the damage here is irreversible and eternal. And so if you're in Hebrews chapter 3, let's begin reading. We're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to go down to 13. So beginning in verse 6, the author writes, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as, God, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my words for 40 years, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my, my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In, in verse 6, there at the top where we started, the author is conveying to his listeners the key to life. He's saying that the, the key to life is, is making it to the end. That, that's why he says, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. It's not just holding our confidence and our hope, but firm until the end. And, and wouldn't you agree with the author here? That isn't the most important thing in our life is that we would hold fast that confidence that we have firm until the end. That we would hold fast to our faith. That we would hold fast to trusting and believing in God regardless of what may come about in our life firm until the end. Because if you think about it, what else even matters? If you get to the end of your life and you are no longer in your faith, like Christ said, what does it matter if you gain the whole wide world, yet lose your soul? You see, I know we can come up as far as uh, have hearts for the Lord and for the church and come up with things that do matter in life and purpose for our life and why we're here, but in the end, nothing matters if you're not saved. This is the, the constant vein of thought that runs through the book of Hebrews. Over and over, the author continues to come out as far as holding fast for confidence until the end. We have it here in Hebrews 3. He, again, he repeats it in 3.14 that uh, it, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. In Hebrews 6, the author writes, And we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. In Hebrews 10, the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In Hebrews 10, a few verses later, it says, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. That when you have done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. And then again in Hebrews 10, it says, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls, we're not of those who shrink back. So you see that the author all through the book of Hebrews, his concern for his audience was that they would, would, would remain until the end, holding fast to their confidence. And that's what I want. I want to receive what is promised. I want to be one of those who has faith and preserved their souls. I want to hold my original confidence firm until the end. And that's where our study here in chapter 3 comes in. 
Because if you if you notice in verse 7, it begins with a, there, a, a therefore. Uh, did you see that? That right after he says that, that Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, therefore. Therefore, after everything that I just said here, therefore, listen up. And so this morning, we are going to see a great caution and a great cure. So number one in your outline is a great caution. The great caution is here that we see in verses 7 to 12. And this is our warning label. So life is life, and the warning label of life is right here. And we're going to have three points here of the great caution. And so number one is the weightiness. The weightiness of this great caution. Now, honestly, I wanted to say urgency, but urgency didn't start with a W. So I'm going with the W of weightiness. But the weightiness and the urgency is he begins today. Today, if you hear his voice, and it's not just if you hear his voice, which would work. I mean, that would convey the same message, but it would be without the urgency. He would say, if you hear the voice of God, then don't harden your heart. But for whatever reason, the author here says, today, today if you hear his voice. And, and it's not just here. It's, it's in verse 13 of chapter 3. It's in verse 15. It's in chapter 4, verse 7. And, and we can understand this because we are bound by time here on earth. We, we understand time. Everything is... I mean, time is always running out in my hourglass every day. I try to squeeze in as much as possible. Uh, I understand time. And, um, and so when I read this, when I read today, it should carry weight for us. We should say, well, knowing that God has uh, inspired every word in the Bible, that we should say that God has intended for us to know that today, if we hear his voice, don't harden our heart. Now, Along the lines of understanding time, I'll just share that my wife and my mother-in-law here, uh, they have a tradition every year that they wake up super early the day after Thanksgiving for what's called what? Black Friday. That's right. Yes, it's the biggest shop day of the year because of the great deals, right? And, um, and so it's funny uh, that every year I see them, they're planning out on, on Thanksgiving Eve, where are we going, everything's, you know, they're putting everything in order. And, uh, and then the start time. All right, what time are we starting this year? And although that they used to be a whole lot more aggressive when they were younger, but now, but it's still. They wake up early, they have a plan to get out there to get the best deal, but have you noticed in the last few years that uh, things are changing a little bit about Black Friday? Because now what? It's a day earlier, right? There's like, hey, if you want to go out on Thanksgiving, you can even get a bigger deal. Like, if you show up on Thanksgiving night, you can go out and get the 65-inch TV for $5.99 instead of the 55-inch or whatever. Or you can, if you're the first one there on Thanksgiving night, whatever, you know? And they have that there. But the, the thing is, is that those ads say what? Today only. On those Thanksgiving ads. So you, you have those super dedicated Black Friday shoppers who don't wake up at 5 in the morning. And they don't wake up at 4 in the morning, but wake up at 3 in the morning to get out, to get down there, to get the deal, that those people, they would be too late. Because the ad said today only. You see? So that is the same for the text here. Today means today. And I know, I, I can hear the skeptic. We, we were in youth ministry. We served in youth ministry for 10 years. And we heard it all the time. And what we heard was, well... That may be true. You know, I, I may have tomorrow, I may have the next 10 years, I may have the next 20 years. One day in my life, maybe not right now, it's not important to me right now. I don't want to, you know, uh, be give myself to religion right now, but one day I, I will I'll give my life to the Lord. And you know what, that may be true. That, the, that, that may be true that someone would have 20, 30, 50, 80 years in their life. But the thing is, is that tomorrow is never promised anywhere. For anyone. James uh, writes in chapter 4, in verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? And you, so you see that the reason why the author quoted, and he'll continue to quote Psalm 95, which we read this morning, is because of the urgency of that message. He feels the same way as a psalmist who was writing the psalm for the same exact purpose of not neglecting such a great salvation. I, I mean, if we had time, we'd go back to Psalm 95. You guys should go back, read that first half of Psalm 95. It is amazing. Like, if you're ever thinking, you know what, I just want to prepare my heart right now to know what kind of God I serve. Turn to Psalm 95 because it talks about the greatness of God. And then right after that, you'll notice in Psalm 95 that the author's speaking, and right in the middle, the voice of God comes in. It goes from the third person to the first person, and God is speaking in that psalm saying, hey, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the day that they rejected me. And so the author here feels that same weight of don't neglect such a great salvation. And the reason why it should be urgent for all of us, the reason why our message to the world should always be with urgency, that as we go out and we share Christ with, with the people in our community or down at the beach or wherever it may be, the reason why that we should always have urgency is because the Bible speaks of urgency. We don't know when our last day is going to be. We don't know also when God will stop speaking to those who reject his voice. That one commentator, he writes, it is a serious mistake to think that God will go on offering his grace despite all our rejection so that we may yield when we please. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 1. He says in Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness do what with the truth? Suppress. They suppress the truth. It's not for me right now. I know what you're saying, but it's not for me right now. I know what's right, but it's not for me right now. I'm going to push it out. They suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then it says, therefore, God gave them up. And so there, there is a point where today is no more. That for some people in this life, that they would suppress the truth and suppress the truth and suppress the truth, and Thanksgiving Day today is over. And once that happens, today is no more. I do feel the weightiness of just that one word in the beginning of that passage. Today, if you hear his voice. Which, that brings us to the second point of the great caution, which is the warning. Today, if you hear his voice, he, he writes, do not harden your hearts. And so the warning here is, if, if you do hear his voice, th then don't harden your heart. So what, what exactly does it mean to harden our heart? I mean, if, if that is the warning here, then we want to make sure that we fully understand so that we can avoid that. And even looking forward, our next point is around the command of vigilance, where we put self-checks to ensure that we don't have this kind of heart. So it's important that we understand what, what, is the, what is the warning here. And so right after verse 7, in verse 8, the author quotes from David, uh, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on that day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Now, we don't have the time to, to go back and track the adventures of the Israelites from Egypt to Kadesh, but just in a nutshell, in a nutshell, from Exodus, where they crossed the Red Sea, all the way to Numbers 14, where the Lord said that they shall not enter his rest. From, from that point, Exodus 14 and Numbers 14, you are going to read of nonstop grumbling and complaining over and over again. Did the Lord bring us out here just to kill us? Couldn't he have just left us in Egypt? No water, no food, the land is not good. But also, as you read through that time of all the complaining from the people mixed in there, 
in every bit of the word is God had performed miracle after miracle, grace upon grace. Parting the Red Sea, water from the rock, manna from heaven, victory in battle, meat out of their nostrils. But finally, the grace of the Lord had come to an end, and today was no more. We read in Numbers 14, 11, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have done among them. And then 10 verses later, he says, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. You see, and so the, the warning of Moses was that they, they wouldn't see the land. So they'd spend the next 40 years, they'd die off, they would never get to, get to the promised land. But for us, it's way more weighty than just, we're not going to get to the promised land. That for us, it's what he's talking about here, why the author of Hebrews is using that illustration, is because he wants to bring this warning, this message of urgency that we understand that there's a whole lot more at stake than just a, a promised land. And so the, the prohibition here is, is, or the warning is not to harden your hearts like that. Don't harden your hearts like the Israelites. Therefore, if you hear your voice today, don't harden your hearts like the day. Like he's saying, don't harden your heart like that. And so by illustration, the author of the book of Hebrews is calling out to his audience as well as calling out to us today. The word of God still alive and active, still speaks to us today. And he's saying, don't harden your hearts like that. And, and if you're there in Hebrews, look, look at chapter 4, verse 1. We got another therefore. So after this illustration of Israelites calling out to the people, his heart for the people that don't do that, he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who heard. And so the author, that's what he's saying. He's, he's saying, you see that that, that the hardness of heart here is what he's talking about. It, at the core is unbelief. He said there in 4.2, it's not united by faith. And back in Numbers 14, how long will they not believe in me? Now, Christian, this is where we really need to, like, perch up and listen because... It's, it's really easy for us to say, well, he's talking to non-believers. Because they didn't believe. I believe. I believe in God. I'm, I'm okay. He's not talking to me. He's talking to non-believers. But that, that's not true. Because unbelief happens in our life every day. And we don't even know. <coughs> unbelief happens and it manifests itself, manifests itself in anxiety, in fear, in, in not trusting in the Lord. And so this warning is for us. We need to understand that the word of God is speaking to us and that we are not to have a heart of unbelief like the Israelites. I mean, that's why the author says at the very end of chapter 3, the summary statement says, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It is unbelief at the core, but practically what it is, it's hearing God and rejecting or rebelling or disobeying or simply not trusting in his word. I mean, just like the Israelites that he uses by this example, that is very clear we can see what he's talking about. They were shown over and over the glory of God, his overwhelming grace, his power and profit of, of providence, that they would, in a sense, turn around and say, God, prove yourself more. I, I, I've seen your glory. I, I've seen what you've done, but more. Prove to us again. We need more evidence. And any time that there is a trial, you can read back in there that they said, is God not among us? Like, are, are, did he leave us out here in the wilderness to die? Is he not among us? Now, I, I can tell you that we have been going through a trial over the last year. And i just be honest with you that there's been many times that I have said in my heart, God, are you not among us? Many times. 
which what the word of God is telling me right here is that that's a heart of unbelief. That I'm just questioning God's perfect providence in my life. And it's, just, it's what we see here. They had God's words of promise and warning ringing in their ears, but they hardened their hearts and they would not respond in faith and obedience. And so plain and simple, it's you know the truth, but you either reject it or disobey it. Or, or not believe that God is always working good. If you haven't noticed, that the, the key word in this section is, is not just hearing, but responding as well. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden. Verse 15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and what? Yet rebelled. And then as mentioned in, in 4.2, they heard the message, but they were not united by faith with those who listened. So there's a response there that, that we're all called to. And that the hardening of the heart is demonstrated by someone who hears the voice of God through the word, and maybe through people, but they refuse to believe, to trust, or obey. Now, I understand that for, for some, for some people, the rejection and rebellion is outright. I don't want this right now. I like my sin. I don't need God in my life right now, maybe later in life. That's it's just outright. I'll, I will reject it. Which is honestly, it's a dangerous position to be in. But a commentator writes, uh, when God in his grace shall at any time still let you hear his voice, do not by any means make your heart stiff like a dried hard branch that will not bend and yield to God. And right here it says, it may be the last time he speaks thus to you. So for some, it's the, the reject and rebellion outright. Don't get out get out of my face. I don't want this right now. But for others, the hardening can happen unknowingly through sin. It's unchecked sin in our life. And that's why the author says in verse 13, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, that exhort one another every day so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that hardened, that verb there, is a passive verb, which, if you know how the Greek works, it's either a verb is either active or you're the one doing it. Like I always use the thing like a boxer. If, it, if a boxer is hitting, that's an active verb. He hit the other person. But if the boxer is getting hit, that's passive. It's being done to him. And it's kind of interesting that we find that hardened is a passive verb, that it's being done to us as sin deceives us. So make, make no mistake about it, that there is no truth in sin. So if there's no truth in sin, it must fool us to think that there's something in it that's good. That, that sin enters our heart and there it causes the growth and development of unbelief, which becomes evident in the hardening of your heart. And that's why the author wrote back in, in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we must, must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Again, drift away is a passive. It's done to us. So, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. But this is written because it's not enough just to hear. It's not enough just to have a knowledge of the truth. But we must respond with faith and belief. And truthfully, it's not a new concept here. It's all over the Bible about hearing and responding. John writes in chapter 13 and verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. James 1.22, we all know this. Be what of the word? Doers of the word. Let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. Luke 11.28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And in Matthew 7, that the whole illustration of a house built on rock and a house built on sand, what was the difference between the two houses? One of them hears and does while the other one hears and does not do. He says, "Is the man, that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. And so it's, it's not enough just to hear we need to respond, and therefore, that's why the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, respond. Don't harden your hearts. So on the great caution, we have the weightiness, 
the warning, and now the watchfulness. As we get to verse 12, the, the tone of the passage changes direction a little bit. It changes from looking backwards at the example to now looking forward directly at the people the author is addressing, as well as all of us here in the room. He's turning back from, hey, this was the example of the Israelites, but now he, he, he's talking directly to us. The, the example taken, taken from Psalm 95 should now be applied to not only the recipients of this epistle, but for anyone who's in danger of turning away from God. Right here we read that, that uh, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It, it's as if, as if the author here is saying, take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you one of those hearts, one of those hearts that I just told you about. You know, that, that evil, unbelieving heart that caused the Israelites to fall away from the living God. The, the word take care here is the Greek word blepete, is from the word blepo, which means to see. And so we think like take care, that, that means we're, we, we are doing something to take care of something, but the actual word here is to see. The, the word here is for each of us to look to it, to take heed. It's a, it's a command that we would beware. It's a command of vigilance, a command of watchfulness, alert to danger. And in fact, it's the same word that's used in 2 John verse 8 where John writes, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for but may win a full reward. Or 1 Peter 5.8, we know this one, be sober-minded, be watchful. Be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the same word here that the author in Hebrews is saying is, take care, brothers. Be watchful, brothers. Take vigilance, brothers. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I miss this. I, I, I take my faith for granted all the time, and I don't nearly give the level of attention that I need to give to watch out that I don't have one of these hearts that's unbelieving. I don't know about you, but I give way too much credit to my heart. I often forget that my heart is deceitful. You know, we uh, we recently switched to... Uh, you guys have uh, Cox cable down here. No, no, no. Is that a Cox down here? We've got a bunch of them out there. But we just recently switched to Time Warner cable because you guys are probably going to throw me off stage here, but I'm a Dodger fan. And uh, I love Dodgers. And no, that's not why we switched, but there's other reasons. But that was that was part of it. I'm like, hey, we get to watch the Dodgers. Um, so anyway, so we switched over, and we got this offer in the mail the other day, and it says upgrade to the best in home security, and then it lists all these options. You get indoor and outdoor cameras, 24 by 7 playback. It locks the doors remotely, or you can lock the doors remotely. Doors and window motion sensors, 24 by 7 monitor protection. I mean, your house is locked down. And that's the word that this blepete is communicating to us. It, it, it's telling us to keep watch over every angle of your life. To be vigilant over every part of your heart. To keep watch that we don't have one of these unbelieving hearts that will lead us to fall away. That we would have that sort of security system around our life so that there would be no part that, that evil can break in. Unknowingly deceived. That it would come in. It says there in, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's not going to come out and just say, hey, this is evil and I want you to do it. Robert Robertson wrote uh, back in 1758 in the hymn, Come Thou Font. I know, I know you guys know this. I've sung it before. But there in, in verse 4, it says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my, 
wandering heart. Find my wandering heart to be prone to wander. Lord, I feel prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander, prone to leave, find my wandering heart. That the true state of my heart is just that. I am prone to wander, I am prone to leave the God I love. Again, deceiving, deception, I don't know it, but that is my heart. And knowing that is half the battle. And that's the reason why we have a warning to be watchful, to take care. Ultimately, it's so we don't fall away from the living God. Fall away here in, in uh, verse 12 is the word uh, apostani, where we get the word apostate. And also, it's the same word that's used in the parable of the sower in Luke 8, 13. It says, and the ones on the rock are those who they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Same word. And so re remember in verse 6, the, the whole reason for the warning is so that we would remain in the house of God. He says that we are, uh, we are of his house if we indeed hold fast our confidence. The hold fast to retain. Which later in the uh, parable of the sower, it talks about the poor soil that is the one that does bear fruit. The difference of that one, it says that this one holds fast to the word. So therefore, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Set up that security system over your faith. We, we should be more watchful, more alert, more vigilant to those things that could knock us off path. And so that the Lord in his grace has shown us by his word here the warning label in life. The things that we need to do in order to persevere in our faith. To obtain that prize, this is how we hold fast our assurance firm until the end. And to ignore this warning and not take this word seriously could be to our demise. Like Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. That's what we need to do. That here is the great caution. And so in order to be in the house of Christ, we need to continually to take heed, continually to see to it, continue to look to that there not be an evil, unbelieving heart. But here also, number two, in your outline is a great cure. Now, a great cure or antidote, an antidote is a medicine or other remedy for counteracting the effects of poison or a disease or something to that nature. It's something that will counteract. And here we have our antidote or a great cure. The great cure for that warning. The great cure for an unbelieving heart. The great cure for the deception of sin that can have on us. This is what we, we need. On the warning label, we read down below, if in do, or if, if eaten, if consumed, do this. And this is what the author is saying. Verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day, as long as, this, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the poison here, the poison that we've consumed is sin. That's the poison. And the disease is an evil, unbelieving heart. But here in verse 13 is that which will counteract that poison. It says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Exhort one another every day as long as you are breathing today. As long as you have air in your lungs. As long as you are living, it is today. Exhort one another every day. Why? Why does he tell us to exhort one another every day? That you wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's the purpose right there. Here's the cure. We exhort one another so we wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I love that this verse is in our Bible. I love that it tells us that sin is deceitful because it gives us the true sense of what sin is. I mean, we're definitely taught... That sin is something that is bad. We, we know that. Oh, that's, we, and, and we'll just put the label of sin on just about everything. Oh, that's just sin. And we know murder, adultery, all the Ten Commandments. We associate that with sin. 
I mean, so we're taught that sin is something that's bad, and we know that our desires give birth to sin, and when it's fully grown, it brings forth death, like we understand Bible lingo. That our iniquities have made a separation between us and God, and sin utterly scorns the Lord. Right? We know that, don't we? You guys, do we know how uh, evil sin is? How dangerous sin is? We do, but then the question is, why do we sin? If we really understood what sin was, then why do we do it? And the answer is we sin because sin deceives us. Here in verse 13, we're shown the deceptive nature of sin. It's elusive, misleading, dishonest, and it must lie to us in order to get us to follow it. I mean, think about John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy I came that they may have life and have that abundantly. And so you have two paths in life that a person can take. Any person. They can either take the path of the thief that still kills and destroys, or they can follow Christ and they can have an abundant life. Now I'm telling you, is everyone in the world following Christ today? No. And the people that aren't following Christ today, do you seriously think that they would follow the thief if they knew that they would lose their soul for all of eternity? That they would feel the depth of that? Truly understand? The answer is no. And so the reason why these people are following the thief because they think that that is the life abundant. Because sin has deceived them to think that the path that they're going is going to bring them the most pleasure, but if they understood really that nature, then they would then know that I cannot go this way. But that, that's what sin does. It deceives us to think something other than what it is. The, the Puritan Thomas Brooke writes, Satan knows that if he would present sin in its own nature and dress, the soul would rather fly from it than yield to it. And therefore, he presents it unto us, not in its own proper colors, but painted and gilded over with the name and show of virtue, that we may the more easily be overcome by it and take the more pleasure in committing of it. Or listen to Job in Job chapter 20, verses 12 to 14. Job says, Though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he is low to let it go and holds it in his mouth, Yet his food is turned in his stomach. It is the venom of cobras within him. You see what I'm saying? Like that's what sin does. And we know it. And we still do it. Because it deceives us. But here, see, I mean, this is how loving the Lord is. This is how great his grace is in our life. Is that he would put verse 13 in our Bibles. That we're given the cure of a, the deceptive nature of sin. Because if we did not have a cure, then we would forever be lost. And the cure here is that he says, but exhort one another as long as it's called today. Exhort one another as long as it's called today. I, I just, I love this verse. I, we, we're given a weapon to battle sin directly. It's a present imperative command, so this just means that it's a continual command. We, we are to do this all the time, every day. We are to exhort one another. And the reason is because sin never sleeps. We're constantly being deceived by our sin, unknowingly. Now, the word here in, in the Greek, exhort, the word for exhort is two words put together, para, kaleo. The word para is to the side of, and kaleo is to call out. I love that. I love that uh, the word here is used exhort instead of admonish every day. Admonish one another every day. Because I used to think that exhorting someone is calling someone out on their sin. I used to think that, hey, exhort someone, you go up to that person and you're like, hey, what are you doing? And, and, and you call out to that person, but that's not what this is saying. This is coming to the side of someone, calling them, which conveys concern and care. 
I mean, can you picture that? Can you picture someone coming alongside of someone to help them out where they're at versus walking up to someone and saying, this is what you're doing? Like, listen to how Paul describes what excitation is to the Thessalonians. This is what it looked like from Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.11. He says right here, For you know how like a father with his children. We exhorted one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you in his own name. Now I can tell you, the way that that just said, like as a father to his children. And you think about a father to a, a little child, like he would not say, what are you doing? Well, we may do that. That's our sin deceiving us. But I mean, the heart of a father to his children is that he would come down at the level of his, of his child and, and to say, that's not good. Like, what are you doing? No, there's a better way, you know? And, and that's the heart of a father. You know, personal sanctification is important. We do need the truth of God's word daily. We do need to train our hearts to live dependently on the Lord by spending personal time in prayer every day. But community within the body of Christ plays a huge part of our growth. I love the statement uh, that John Piper has uh, at his church around their community groups, home Bible fellowships, and he talks about mutual care. He says, corporate commitment to pursue a life together in, here we go, sacrificial, faith-sustaining care for each other. So, one, pursuing a life together, how? Sacrificially, faith-sustaining care for one another. I love that. There is no calling someone out in their sin in that right there. Mutual care is a faith sustaining, like you're doing this because you know that this life is hard, and you know that there's things that's going to knock us off track, and you know that there's deception that we're going to come across, but we do it because we want to make sure that everyone does make it there. Hebrews 10, uh, 24 to 25, we know this verse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, we see the time of this world is working its way to the end. And we know that. For Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Or Romans 12, 10 outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Like there's so many more of these mutual care verses to show hospitality to one another, to confess your sins to one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another the burdens, to comfort one all over the New Testament. Read that. And so we know that the Word of God trains our hearts that the body of Christ was so designed that we would, we would be about community. And we don't have enough of this. We really don't have enough community in our lives. We tend to seclude ourselves, or we're selfish with our time, or we give in to the tiredness of our day. We get home, we're like, oh, I really don't want to go to managers tonight. But the, but the antidote here, the, the, the thing that's going to counteract that warning the, 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 the antidote to overcome the deceitfulness of sin is to be around other believers. Now, here's the thing. We're around other believers so much that we begin to let our guards down. Now, I say that because you look at me and you know nothing about me. And you may think, man, he's preaching the word. He must be pretty upstanding God, loving God, fearing man. He, well, I don't know what you're thinking. I got some people here that know me. <laughs> But, I mean, all that to say, but I guarantee that if you lived with me, you would probably have so much more to say to me. You, you would. You would say, man, you are impatient at times. And you have anger in you that comes out at times. And you, you know, I mean, so these things would come out the more that you spend time. And, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, surface-level relationships never get to the heart. They just never do. I come in on Sundays, and you go, hey, how's everything going? Our answer is always what? 
great, fine. We're not fine and we're not great. There's things that every part in our lives that we would be able to say, hey, actually, I'm, I'm not doing so well right now. That's why we pursue community in our church. And when you do this, when you do pursue community in your church, we open ourselves up for real growth. You know, as mentioned earlier, we, we have been in the midst of the biggest trial in our life. And uh, very easily, I can, I can hide all of that at church every week. We, we probably have six or 700 people that come to church every, every week. And um, they, they don't have any clue. Like a service level relationship, hey, how's it going? We're going good, everything, this and that. And I can leave church every Sunday and no one would even know anything about anything. I can come and go, not say anything, no one knows anything. But every day, in the midst of this trial, my sin of anxiety and my sin of not trusting God that he's in control of every detail in this trial, and that my sin of fear that nothing good will come out of this will eventually deceive me to think that God doesn't care for me. That that sin will eventually deceive me to think that God has forsaken me. And that praying doesn't work anymore. He doesn't hear my voice. He's not listening. And so you see, like, the, the way Satan is disguising is that this is a tough thing that I'm in, and over time, I start saying it's not working anymore. And if I'm left to myself, then my heart would get harder and harder and harder. But the, the, the two men that came up, the families here, uh, Matt, Manny and Mark, the two closest friends in my life, and they've been around me since day one. And I could just tell you, they've been like my Aaron and her. I remember that story, Moses... They're in battle, and God says, as long as you keep your, your hands up, the battle will continue. You'll continue to win. And over time, his arms would drop, and Israel would start losing the battle. Ah, lift your hands up, and Israel would start winning the battle. So he had Aaron and Hur come to the side of Moses and hold his arms up until the battle was won. And, and that's what these men have done to me. They hold up my arms. They lovingly call me out, you know, and say that, hey, you know that's not true. You know God has not forgotten you. Don't grow anxious. Don't grow tired. Depend on the Lord. The wives, loving my wife. Those in our community group that pray for us. I'm just telling you, like the, our hearts, we just want to go seclude ourselves and just get in a ball and just close our eyes and go to sleep and wake up when it's all done. But that's just not how it works. God calls us to be in community with one another. That when we have others in our lives... And the opportunity to come alongside of us, the exhortation, to help bear our burdens, to exhort and to encourage us with the word. By saying, don't grow weary, the Lord is sovereign. Don't forget he's promised good according to his will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding of the circumstances that you're in. Wait upon the Lord. I, you, see, you understand what I'm saying? If we never meet with others for the sake of community and fellowship and discipleship, then sin would continue to deceive us. Now, I'm not saying that exhortation can't happen within our families, because it can. You know, and what I'm saying is that doesn't. I'm not saying you have to get involved in community at the church because you can't have exhorting one another in your family. You can, and you should. But more often than not, our sin bents tend to start morphing together as a family, and we don't, we're not as sharp to point out deception that may be happening in our own lives. It's dangerous. Our sanctification and our growth is definitely a community project for the church. And so that's the great cure for the great caution. And so number one on the bottom under application is to believe or not to believe. Where, where are you at this morning? Are you a, God, your grace is enough, I believe, and my life is a living sacrifice to you? Or are you a, at this point in time, hey, I, I need more proof, God. I need to see more before I fully commit. And to you, I simply want to just ask you to reconsider your life before today runs out. Because the truth is, an unregenerated heart don't grow softer over time. They grow harder. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.19, 
that we would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word. Why? Because it's a lamp that shines in a world of darkness. That the word of God, we open up the word of God, we feed on the word of God, we read the word of God, we exhort with the word of God, and it's brightness in the world of darkness so we're not deceived. Take the word, open it up, allow God to do a work in your heart. The word of God is living, active, able, profitable, it gives life. And if this is you, just plead with the Lord that he would soften your heart. Plead with him that today would be the day. Plead that he would have mercy on you and that he would give you a new heart that loves the Lord and would surrender your whole life to him. Number two, how is unbelief manifesting itself in your life today? I mean, let's call it for what it is. All sin is unbelief and all of it will harden our hearts. As I mentioned earlier, anxiety, selfishness, Lust, covetousness, laziness, fear, anger, all of it is something in our heart that is saying, I think I know a better way. It's unbelief. And so are you battling your sin of unbelief today? Are you being vigilant? You've got that security system set up around your heart. Now, I, lo I love Paul, how he writes in 1 Corinthians 9.27. I go to this all the time because... He talks about winning a race and there's only one prize. Run the race as if there's only one prize. And I can tell you, if we knew there's only one gift of salvation out there, we'd probably run a whole lot harder than what we do. But that's what Paul's saying, like, run that way. But then in, in 27 he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You know, so battle. Be in that battle. I love this. J.C. Ryle uh, wrote a poem called The Great Battle, and uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, but right there in the middle, he has, uh, victory is the only satisfactory evidence that you have a saving religion. You like good sermons, perhaps. You respect the Bible and read it occasionally. You say your prayers night and morning. You have family prayers and give to religious societies. This is back then. We don't have religious societies. <laughs> you give to religious societies. I thank God for this. It is all very good. But how goes the battle? How does the great conflict go on all this time? Are you overcoming the love of the world and the fear of man? Are you overcoming the passions and tempers and, and lust of your own heart? Are you resisting the devil and making him flee from you? How is it in this matter? My dear brother or sister, you must either rule or serve sin and the devil and the world. There's no middle course. You must either conquer or be lost. Like that's vigilance right there. How are you doing in the battle? And then number three, how are you doing in the area of mutual care? Now, as you, as you heard today, we, we all need each other for spiritual growth. Are you coming alongside of others and opening up your lives so that others can come and speak truth into your life? Are you opening up yourself so people can bear burdens with you? Are you bearing others' burdens? If not, get involved in home fellowship groups. That's the beauty about a small church. Like, everyone's in home fellowship groups, right? It is. It's just like, hey, we're all together. Let's come. We're going to get together Tuesday or Friday or whatever it is. But as you guys grow bigger and bigger still, Push for that. Push that everyone is involved in community groups, not to be religious, but because that is the cure for the, the, the great warning. Go have coffee together, lunch, invite others over for dinner. You, you will run from this biblical community that we're talking about until you experience it. And once you experience biblical community, you will run to it. We need each other. Let me say that again. We need each other. Listen to the author in Hebrews 12, 15. And if this doesn't talk about mutual concern, then I don't know what does. But listen, it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That means that we're not only called to have watchfulness over our own hearts, that we're vigilant, we're looking at every angle, but we're to have the same vigilance on everyone else around, it, around us. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, are just so thankful, God, that uh, you give us this word, Lord, that we would have uh, this light in the world of darkness. Lord, we're so thankful that Christianity is not uh, an individual project, but Lord, you call us to be in a group of believers. Lord, that you say in Ephesians 4 that as each body part does its part, that we grow in love. And Lord, it's just so good that uh, you have continued to love us over and over by giving us the word, giving us your church, giving us free, unlimited access to the throne of grace, Lord, that we can come at any time, Lord. And uh, Lord, I'm just uh, so thankful, Lord, that Lord, you call, you call us and give us this great antidote, Lord, this great cure for just such a, a, a very sober warning there that uh, our hearts are deceitful and sin is deceitful. And so, Lord, I, I do pray, God, that you would uh, give us the strength to be vigilant every day, Lord, that we would make community important, uh, God, so that we can hear on that day, Lord, good and well done, my faithful servant. And, uh, Lord, we pray for... Or the, the kids going away to camp, or we pray that you would just, Lord, open up their hearts, Lord, so that they would see your glory. God, that you would just put their feet on a firm foundation. We pray for the families that are away, uh, family camp, Lord, we pray that you just uh, move in their hearts. And Lord, we pray for Faith Bible, God, and all the churches, surrounding churches, Lord, that you would continue to make uh, the light of the, the gospel, the glory of Christ, look brighter and brighter uh, here. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.